If you have a Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, as we begin a series called, Why Does the Resurrection Matter? So friends, listen up. This is God's Word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is God's Word. Well, Easter is a celebration, right? It's a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. But why do we celebrate? Right, right? Why does the resurrection matter to you? That's the question we want to answer. You know, when you think about uh, the first Easter The very first Easter, you can read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible. That first Easter really was characterized by wonder. Okay, wonder. If you read some of the accounts, people were kind of wondering, what the heck's going on here? They didn't quite understand it. And that wonder started really because of two things. Okay, it started because the tomb where Jesus laid was empty. And second, there was a growing number of people who saw Jesus alive. Okay, and the folks who saw Jesus alive, they weren't saying that he had come back from the dead. You know, like somehow he had flatlined in the tomb and then, you know, they, God took his cosmic paddles and, and, and jump-started his heart and he sort of resuscitated. That wasn't what they were saying. It wasn't that Jesus went into the dark tunnel of death and then came back out. What they were saying was that Jesus went into that tunnel and actually came out the other side. Okay? That Jesus went into death and in his resurrection, he was actually beyond the grave. Okay? Not back from the grave, but beyond the grave. They were saying that Jesus was now living in a way that no human being has ever lived before. That Jesus was resurrected in the way that for the Jews in the first century, they thought that at the end of time, everybody who was part of God's family would be resurrected. And they said that for Jesus, what was supposed to happen for everybody has happened for him. 
And so he was beyond the grave, not back from the grave, right? That's what they thought. That's what they were saying about the resurrection of Jesus. And it was filling them with wonder because they didn't quite understand what it meant. Now, this wonder didn't fade with the first eyewitnesses because something radical started to happen. Okay, something different happened. Uh, People began to have an experience. Okay, there were people who were following Jesus that were wanting Jesus to fix the world. Okay, they wanted him to come and to be the king and fix all of the evil that was, that was oppressing them, all the problems that other people were causing in their lives. They were looking to Jesus to fix all of what was evil. But then Jesus goes through this death thing. Like he died and his followers think, wait, wait, that wasn't part of the plan. Right? That's not what a ruling king is going to do. A ruling king doesn't die. And yet Jesus died and then rose again. And that death and resurrection told his followers that something more was going on. Okay, that Jesus did come, in fact, to be king, but he also came to be a savior. He came to be a savior. And a big part of Jesus' ministry was to help his own followers realize that when they were looking to point a finger, the finger of blame, at what was wrong with the world, they needed to be careful about who they pointed at. And they needed to first and foremost, Jesus would say, if you want to know what's wrong with the world, you need to look in the mirror. You need to look in the mirror. He said, be careful where you draw the line between good and evil. And there's a Russian novelist and historian. His name is Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Okay, and he wrote this. He said, I came to the point in my life where I realized that the line separating good and evil passes not in between countries or in between classes or even between political parties, but the line between good and evil runs right through every human heart. We all contribute in our own way to things that are wrong with the world some more than others, but people began to realize that Jesus had come. When when he came to fix what's wrong, that part of what was wrong was in here. And so the question was, how could Jesus put an end to evil when the line between good and evil runs through our hearts? Right? How could he love the world and yet put an end to what's wrong? Well, what Jesus did was he put himself between us and our sin. He put himself between us and evil. In his death on the cross, he took on the penalty of our sins and created a separation between us and our sins so that we could be set free. And when people began to realize this, that that was why he died and that he rose from the dead, their sense of wonder increased. Now it wasn't just that he rose from the dead, but why he rose from the dead that contributed this growing sense of wonder that filled the people who were following Jesus. They were moved. They began to relate to God in a totally different way. And this wonder kept growing. It kept growing because then the first followers of Jesus, they realized that while they were committing themselves to Jesus, while they were trusting Jesus with their lives, 
that God was actually working in their hearts. That God was doing something. So he was forgiving them, but then he was also beginning to change them. Things in their lives were changing. Their perspectives were changing. Their attitudes were changing. Their feelings were changing. Their relationships were changing. Their work was beginning to change. And a lot of the followers of Jesus didn't know what was happening. They really couldn't account for it. They didn't understand, like, why is this going on? I'm experiencing something, but I don't quite get it. Oh, are you, you're experiencing this too. Okay, well, do you understand what's going on? No, I don't really understand what's going on. Do you know, I, I don't, they, they were filled with this sense of wonder, this sense of wonder. And so the people who actually knew Jesus, the people who spent time with him, the people who saw him rise from the dead, the eyewitnesses of Jesus, they actually began to explain it to the rest of us. Okay, folks that said, oh, you know what? I knew Jesus. Let me help you understand exactly what's going on in your life. They began to explain the change that was taking place. This chapter in the Bible is an example of that explanation. Okay, that's what this chapter in the Bible is. This is an explanation from the Apostle Paul. Okay, Paul, who was an eyewitness of Jesus risen from the dead, He wrote this to explain the dramatic change that happens to someone when they believe in Jesus. Hey, that's what he's doing. He's describing why the resurrection matters to you. Okay, and this is his point. The point that he makes in these verses is that Jesus' resurrection matters to you because you too can experience a resurrection today. That's why the resurrection matters to you because you too can experience a resurrection today. And so if you're here today and you are a Christian, this chapter of the Bible is explaining, so what is it about, like, why am I changing and growing? Like, why is it that Jesus makes a difference in who I am? Or how can I change and grow more? Right? And if you're here and you're not a Christian, this chapter is an offering, it's an, it's an invitation It's offering to answer the question for you, how do I change? How do I grow? How can I experience the love and the power of God in my life? And Paul shows really three aspects of this resurrection. So if you want to write something down, if you want to take notes, here are the main points. Paul's going to be talking about the resurrection that you can experience today. Okay, and his three points are first, the reality of your resurrection Second, the results of your resurrection. And third, the routine of your resurrection. So the reality, the results, and the routine of your resurrection. Okay, so first, the reality. Let's look at that first. This is verses 1 through 4. In verse 1, Paul says, he starts off and he says, You have been raised with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Did you know that? Did you know that you have been raised with Christ? It's interesting to me that there are times in life where when you hear the explanation of something, it completely kills the wonder of it. Right? Think about magic tricks. Right? You watch a magic trick, you see a performer, someone does a great job, and you're just sort of amazed, right? There's a sense of wonder that fills 
I mean, it's just it's incredible to see the things that are done. Well, then you watch and see the explanation of it, or somebody shows you the trick behind it. I mean, and for me, I actually like that too. I mean, that, that's really interesting. You know, it's really neat to see the ingenuity involved and all that kind of stuff. But what it does is it completely kills the wonder, right? There's no wonder left. You watch it again, and you still might be, you know, interested in, in watching how it all flows out to see if you can see where the trick was done or if you can catch it. But the wonder is gone. And there are times when hearing the explanation kills the wonder of something. But not here. Not here. This is so different from magic. Hearing the explanation of why people change when they believe in Jesus actually heightens the wonder of it. Because Paul is saying here, do you want to know why you change when you believe in Jesus? When you trust Jesus with your life, do you want to know why his resurrection matters? It's because when you believe in Jesus, you are raised with him. You experience a resurrection with Jesus. That's incredible. That's incredible. You are raised with him. Now, there's a distinction here, right? Because you're thinking, well, how, what exactly does that mean, right? Jesus' resurrection my re- doesn't compute. I don't quite understand how you make the correlation. Well, so Jesus' resurrection was literal. He was literally, physically, bodily raised from the dead, okay? For us, our resurrection with him in this life is metaphorical, okay? It's metaphorical for now, okay? There is a future aspect to where we will also be raised in exactly the same way that Jesus was raised. But Paul is saying here in verse 1 that you have been raised with Christ. He is saying, metaphorically, you have been raised. How do we know it's metaphorical? Look at verse 3. Verse 3, it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he says you died. So again, we see here, he's not talking about literally, right? You didn't literally die and come back to life. You didn't literally die and pass through death into life. He's saying, again, this is, uh, it's a metaphor. The experience that you have with Jesus is that you died and you've been raised with him. This is one aspect of what the Bible means. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say, well, that Jesus died and rose for you. Okay, when people say that, this is what they're getting at. Because they're saying that when you trust Jesus, you die metaphorically with him and you're raised metaphorically with him. This is how it works. And this metaphor is a wonderful picture of what it means to have a relationship with God. Okay, because verse 1, it says that you are raised with Christ And Christ is now, at the end of verse 1, seated at the right hand of God. You see that? He's seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of a king is the place of power. It's just the right hand. The right hand of a king is the place of power. And so Christ is sitting, and he is the power of God. And if you are sitting with him and have been raised with him, you are seated there too. Okay, so let's think about politics for a second. In politics, how or where you stand on an issue is determined or indicated by where you sit, right? If you sit on the left, we know where you stand and how you act on most issues. If you sit on the right, we know how you stand and and how you act on most issues, right? You get that. Where you sit shows where you stand and how you live or how you act 
our president, President Obama, has power because he sits at a desk in the Oval Office in the White House. What this verse is saying is that as a Christian, you have power that comes from God because you sit with Christ at God's right hand in heaven. That's the reality of your resurrection. And it goes farther than that because the reality of this resurrection also means that God has adopted us into his family. Look at verse 3. Paul says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you have Jesus, who is the Son of God. When we believe in him, we are raised with him, we're seated with him, and God becomes our Father. And so our life is hidden with Christ, hidden with the Son, so that we become God's adopted sons and daughters. But you think about the idea of adoption, where a child is taken typically from a really awful upbringing, a really awful environment, and is placed into an environment that potentially has the opportunity to change everything, right? To change that person's environment, to change that person's experience, to change that person's relationships. We have a new family and a new environment. That's part of the reality of our resurrection, being raised with Christ. And this comes because when you trust in Jesus, you begin a relationship with God. That's what it means. Jesus is in heaven, and if we are raised with him, we are joining with him in heaven. And this is the reality, the reality of our resurrection that, that we all need to understand. You need to know this if you're a Christian. This is what we need when we face challenges, difficulties, suffering in our lives. Okay, one person said this about facing suffering. He said, in the midst of your suffering, you know that God is sending you a message, that he is still hearing prayer and he is still in control. He is the God who makes promises and keeps them. I think if you read that quote just by itself, you might think, well, it sounds kind of trite a little bit. Doesn't that sound a little bit, like it sounds like a little bit of a pat answer? Like, how can you really say that? You know, it's one thing to say it, but when I'm suffering, I don't usually feel much like, you know, like saying that to myself. Sometimes those things don't assure me. So where does this person get off saying this? Well, who is this person? The person who said this, his name is Jose Enriquez. Jose Enriquez was one of the 33 Chilean miners that were trapped in a mine in Chile in October of last year. He said this, and this is what preserved him, gave him and others strength for 69 days when they were 2,200 feet under the ground. Let me read it again. In the midst of your suffering, you know that God is sending a message that he is still hearing prayer, and he is still in control. He is a God who makes promises and keeps them. That's not just a pat answer. That's not just a fortune cookie. That's what gave this guy hope and how he ended up giving hope to other people, to the other miners that were under the ground with him for 69 days while they were begging and praying and hoping that they'd be rescued. That's what gave him strength. This is the reality that he is seated. Even though he was 2,200 feet under the ground, he was seated with Christ in the heavenly places. 
that God was his father. This is the reality of the resurrection that you need to have. This is the reality of the resurrection that you have if you're a Christian today. And if you're not, this is the kind of hope, the kind of encouragement, the kind of strength that the resurrection of Jesus offers to you that makes a radical difference in your life. And so this is the reality of the resurrection. The second point uh, is the results of the resurrection, the results of your resurrection. This is really verses 5 through 14. Um, what, is, what, are the, the, what is the implications? What is the impact that this sort of reality has? Well, first, we have a new identity. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are part of God's family, and you are now defined as one who has been raised with Christ. And so what this means is that you can actually experience real, lasting, and personal change. You can grow. Change is possible. Now, I do want to make a comment about verses 5 through 8. In those verses, there's a list of about 13 different sins. Um, And my guess is that some of you may have been thinking as we read through those, "Uh uh-oh, here we go with the self-righteous. Here's the sin list. This is... And I know for a lot of people, they don't go to church anymore because of the way that the church talks about sin. Um, in my experience, most of the people that I know who don't believe in Jesus um, get frustrated that Christians and the church um, thinks they have a right to come in and tell somebody else how to live. Right? It's like, why are you pushing your morality on me? Why are you telling other people how to live? I think that's a valid criticism. I don't think the church should push its morality on other people. Um, this part of the Bible, this whole chapter is, is written to Christians. Remember, Paul is talking about the reality that's happened of people being raised with Christ. That's a description of those who are trusting in him. And so what Paul's getting at here, what he's saying here is that if, right, that's the first word in verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you've experienced this wonder this reality of being raised with Jesus, if you've experienced this personal relationship with God, you want that experience to last. Right? You want that relationship to be ongoing. You want to experience the resurrection of Jesus every day. And so that's why Paul talks about sin. That's why he addresses particular sins. Because reminding us that he's saying these are the things that flow from the reality, right? If you've been raised, then there's some things that you're going to put off and some things you're going to put on, okay? And he's saying that because um, what he's doing is he's trying to remind us about the reality that we have been raised with Christ, okay? Um, and, And this sort of reminder, it wakes us up. It's designed to be like an alarm clock for us. Okay, think, think about this for a second. Let's say you've got a big meeting, right, tomorrow. Monday morning, you've got a big meeting. You've got to do a presentation in front of your boss and your boss's boss. So you decide you're going to set your alarm for an hour earlier than you'd normally wake up because you want to make sure that you're ready to go. Well, you set your alarm, you lay down, and you're restless, right? Your mind is racing. You're thinking through what are you going to say, how's it going to go, what are the questions, you know, all those things. And it's tough to fall asleep. Well, finally, you do fall asleep, and it feels like immediately your alarm goes off, right? Your alarm goes off, and you are in deep sleep, 
Okay, you were it, it caught you in deep sleep, and you kind of you kind of do that faded, like eyes half open. You're disoriented, and you kind of look. You you kill the alarm. You turn that off, um, and and you're just sort of like groggy. You're like, what in the world? Where's life? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? What am I? You know. And then you it hits you. Oh my god! I, oh my, they got the meeting right, and it, all of a sudden, okay, you're awake and you're off and you're moving. Okay, you kind of get that, right? I mean, you set your alarm because it'll wake you up and remind you that you've got somewhere to be. You've got something important. That's what Paul is doing here. When Paul brings up these lists of sins, these things that he's talking about, and things that we need to put to death that he talks about, um, what he's doing is he's, he's setting an alarm for us. And that alarm is designed to say to you, hey, don't forget, you've been raised with Christ. Don't forget that something amazing and wonderful has happened to you. You have a relationship with God, and there are things about you that are different now. You died, and now you are raised with him. And so verses like this, they remind us, they sort of jog our memory. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. This is part of my old self. I used to be like this and really enjoy it, but this is not how I want to be characterized anymore. Right. And you look um, at uh, I mean, this is this is the reality that motivates us and it produces these results of our resurrection. And so we said earlier that um, that the resurrection of Jesus causes a separation between us and our sin. Right. Jesus loved us, but then wanted to deal with the sin in our lives. And so he he became and, and created a division, a separation. Well, the separation has a huge result. It has a big result because now, here's what happens. Now, instead of, it's not the old way of life that defines us anymore. Okay? When you think about the things that characterize your life before you became a Christian, those things that are really the result of living apart from God's love, the things that you do when you're not filled with love for other people, care and concern, like those are the things that really characterize when, when you live your life and you're revolving yourself really around yourself rather than around others, right? Th- those are things that Paul would say are part of your old self. And Paul is saying that now your old life is no longer what defines you. He's actually saying that because of the separation that Jesus has made, those things are no longer at the core of your being, Okay. They are no longer at the core of your being. They've sort of been extricated from the core of your being. And now your actions become like clothes that you can take off and put on. Okay? Your old way of life now, Paul pictures as this sense of, they're like clothing that you can take off and put on. That's the image that Paul uses with putting off the old self, putting on the new self in verses 9 and 10. He says in verse 9, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So Paul's saying it's like clothing. Um, let me give you, this is a, uh, just a really vivid translation of this passage from another author. So listen to this. He said this, he said, You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom-made by the Creator with His label on it. 
And he said, so chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. That's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. That's the result of the resurrection of Jesus for you. If you put your trust in him, if you have already believed in him, then you know what? There are things that, that are associated with your life that you can take off and, and put away. And you have put on this new self, this new self that's characterized, I mean, chiefly and ultimately by love, but by kindness, compassion, humility, meekness, and patience. This is how you need to think about yourself. This is the result of the resurrection in you. And so you want to continue when the old clothes, I mean, the trouble I guess that we have really is that I mean, if you're like me, you've got old clothing that you're actually pretty comfortable with, right? You've got an old shirt that has some holes, but it's familiar, right? You kind of like the way it looks. You've got a pair of pants that just are really comfortable, and who cares if they've got a split? Who cares if they've got a tear, right? I mean, there are things, there are, there's old clothing that we, you know, grow fond of, and we have a hard time letting go of, um, I mean, just to, to bring this down uh, to, to the reality that we live in. You know, we, we have this reality of the resurrection. The result is that we're new creatures. But I think, I mean, for all of us, when we have a pattern of life that has existed over the course of years and maybe decades, it's going to take some time to really feel like we fit into our new clothes. Okay, and so this is why Christians continue to struggle with sin, with things. It's, it's not like when you become a Christian, everything goes away, right? All your problems are solved. That's, that's not the reality, right? The reality is that we can put all that stuff off, but the, the problem is that we struggle because, we, um, because we're human. Uh, but, the radical, but there has been a radical break. There has been a radical break. And, and when the old self comes back up, when the old clothes come back on and we find ourselves wearing things that, well, now we feel kind of embarrassed to wear those things again. Um, and we look and we see the resurrection of Jesus, we have to remember his death. You know, the resurrection didn't happen outside of the death of Christ. And so when the old clothes come back on, when the old struggles come back, um, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you are struggling because you feel like maybe this passage is speaking to you and you feel like you're covered with a lot of old clothing and you'd rather have a new wardrobe we all need to go to the same place and that's the cross we all need to go to Jesus in his death because it's in his death where he creates that separation it's in his death where he takes away the penalty that our sins deserve that's the place where we can find renewed forgiveness from God where we are assured of God's love and his care where that separation happens. And it's because of the death of Jesus, because he has done away with our old self that we can then reconnect with him and be raised again with him. 
So if you're not experiencing the resurrection of Jesus, whether you're a Christian or not today, the way to get there is to go to the cross first, leave your sins with him, and he will raise you up from the dead. He will raise you from the dead. And so that's the result of your resurrection. Our last point is the routine of your resurrection, right? If you've experienced this um, and you want more of it, if you have never experienced this, but you want it, um, if you've experienced this and it's been a long time since it's felt real to you, what do you do? Right? How do you kickstart the process again? How do you get back to the place where um, you feel like you're experiencing God? Well, the answer comes in verses 1 and 2. It's what Paul says there where he says, If you've been raised with Christ, you want to know what to do? Seek the things above. He says, seek the things above. Look at verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And what he's saying here, this is not self-help. Okay, Self-help, a lot of times, is an effort to try to convince yourself of something that you're not. And if you can believe the lie, then maybe you can make it. This is different. What Paul is doing is not to convince, your, not to try to get you to convince yourself that you're better than you are, but he's saying that you need to go to the person who is perfect. You need to go to the one who is perfect. If you want to experience a death to your old self and a resurrection of your new, then you need to go to the one who died and rose for you. The reason that you seek the things that are above is because that's where Christ is. And this is why Jesus is so compelling. Jesus does this work for us. He dies. He rises from the dead. And then he says, follow me. Follow me and I will fill you with love and strength. I'll fill you with love and strength. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. It's Christ. This is why in church we talk about the importance of of reading this book. Because this is the place where people that actually knew Jesus, that saw him raised from the dead, explained what it all meant and why it matters. I mean, that's what Bible reading is about. It's not about checking something off or feeling holy because you read the book. It's because in this place you find out. You might not have known that you were raised with Christ. This book will tell you things about Jesus that you didn't know. This book will apply the resurrection of Jesus in your life in ways that you might not have considered before. But when you do that, you get more and more of Jesus. You are filled up with who Jesus is, why he came. And as you understand that, you connect to it and it becomes real in your life. And this is why we talk about prayer. Prayer is not just a spiritual activity. Prayer is talking with the one who is raised up and seated in heaven. And as you do that, your mind is drawn up. You say, Jesus, I want to be more like you. Jesus, I'm struggling with this. Jesus, I'm powerless to be able to make this happen in my life. I need you to work. And as you do that, Jesus draws near. I mean, in some ways, spending time with Jesus in prayer, reading the Bible, 
it's kind of like dyeing an Easter egg. You know, you get your egg and you put it in the dye. And if you just dip it in, it comes out. It's not going to be changed. You've got to let it soak in there. You've got to spend time with Jesus. As you do that, that is what causes his resurrection to become true in your life. As you, as you spend time with him. And we're going to do that. We're going to do that over the next four weeks. We're going to talk about more specifically how this resurrection applies to every area of our lives, to the difficulties, the tensions, the suffering in our relationships, our attitudes, our families. We're going to talk about marriage and parenting, grandparenting. We're talking about our work and our career. Over the next four weeks, we're going to see how this resurrection of Jesus, how it can come true in your life in these areas in particular specific ways. And so, <clears throat> I mean, I guess the point for us is, is to seek the things that are above. It's, it's to go to Jesus. This is why we celebrate him in his resurrection. This is why we're here. We celebrate this because Jesus' resurrection brings resurrection to us. If you're here and you're a Christian, I want you to press into your relationship with Christ. Be more intentional about the fact that you believe in him, you, are, you, you worship him, you trust in him. Be more intentional about that relationship this week and see what happens. Jesus has been changing us from January until now. We've seen him respond as we have sought to go deeper with him. Right? Jump in to friendships with other people. You can't do this on your own. Right? This is why we have community groups, because no one is an island. We can't grow spiritually by ourselves. We need other people. We need encouragement. Um, and if you're here and you're not a Christian, I mean, this, this is the reality. These are the results. And it's a routine of spending time with Jesus that produces the impact. It produces real resurrection in your life. If you want to see this kind of transformation happen in you, all you do is pray. You can just pray and give your life to Jesus. Confess your sins. Confess your sins and trust him for forgiveness. And God will raise you. He will give new life to your heart. He will cause you to be raised from the dead. <clears throat> On the back of this welcome card, um, there's a series of things, decisions that you can make today that I'd offer you. Um, if you want to share with us a decision that you've made, if you want to commit to Jesus if you want to join in with a group about exploring Christianity, if you want to learn how to grow spiritually, uh, you know, there's a series of things that you can indicate on the back of this card. I'd encourage you to do that. And as you drop it off, again, you know, we'll follow up with you. We'd love to help you grow in your journey, if you're a Christian or not. Um, we'd love to help you jump into what God is doing here in our church uh, so that you can be part of, uh, part of the family. And so let's go to the Lord now. Let's seek the things that are above. Let's seek Christ and ask him to make this more real to us. Lord Jesus, thank you for being raised from the dead. Thank you for coming, for suffering for our sake so that we could be raised too. Lord, I pray for the Christians that are here that you would help each one of us to experience a greater sense of the reality of the resurrection. Help us, Lord, to seek you. You are in heaven, in that realm of perfect love, of perfect peace, of perfect relationships. 
Lord, we need that in our lives. And if we are seated with you, then you have given us, by your presence, you have given us the beginning of that here and now. Lord, I thank you for the ways that you are working here in our family, and I pray that you would go deeper with us, that you would help us to experience more of your resurrection. And Lord, would you touch the folks here who aren't yet Christians, and would you lead them to yourself? Help them, Lord, to pray. Show them that you are safe, that you can be trustworthy, that when you came out of the tomb, you declared to everybody that you are their Savior. Help those who are not, who are here and don't know you to trust you today. And Lord, lead and guide us this week. Help us to experience the death of our old self more specifically. Help us to feel that new self coming from inside of our heart so that it would flow out of our heart into all of our lives and begin to affect everything. And help us, Lord, together as we discuss this, as we talk about it, to put this into practice. Lord, thank you that that your resurrection does mean that everything changes for us. We praise you and we thank you. Amen.